You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. It's great to be together. Uh, it's great to laugh. It's been a, a crazy week, been a dark week uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Marshall and I were kind of glued to the TV on, on Wednesday, and yeah. it was like, uh, we were talking about how this, we're, we're watching stuff that, you know, your kids will read about in your history book. Because here I, I help Cora with her history sometimes and reading stuff that happened, and, and that's like, we're watching something that your kids will read about and their kids will read about. Uh, and it's good to be reminded during times like this that our hope is in God and uh, in Jesus, our Lord and our King. And, um, you know, He is our source of truth. He's our source of stability, of direction, of guidance, of hope. And, uh, and, and, we, and we do pray. We want to pray for our leaders. Uh, there's a great scripture in 1 Timothy 2 where Paul tells uh, Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a uh, somewhat tumultuous time, even in, in, in the first century, as Paul was writing this to Timothy, there was always jockeying for power, there was always shifts going on in the Roman Empire. Uh, I think God worked it out so the Roman Empire provided relative stability, but but what uh, what Paul was saying to pray for was for peace, uh, for us to be able to, to lead peaceful and quiet lives. Why? Verse 3 uh, says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, we want peace so that uh, God's kingdom can can flourish, so that God's kingdom can grow, so that more people can come to know Christ. And uh, we can live peaceful and quiet lives so that we can reflect Christ uh, in our communities. Um, you know, our world is full, one that's full of, of, of brokenness and fear uh, and uh, and we want to pray, you know, pray for our leaders. So uh, let's just stop and pause and pray together uh, for our country right now, for our leaders, uh, as Paul directed us to, and uh, and then we'll continue on. Uh, God, thank you for uh, this fellowship that we're a part of. Thank you for our family. Uh, thank you for even just Will, what Will Archer talked about in his lesson last week, that we can be a family of people with all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, very diverse in uh, socioeconomic or, or, or racial makeup or political makeup or um, just all we come from so many different stories but we're united in Christ and uh, we're one in him and uh, we uh, our hope is in you and in your kingdom and but we do want to really pray for our leaders God we want to pray for our government we pray for a peaceful transition here of, of the presidential uh, role we want to pray for um, our lawmakers, uh, God, that and, and just the, the the divisions that are in our country, I pray that you would heal those. I pray that uh, you know people that are feeling not listened to can feel listened to. God, that you would uh, create uh, ways for people to make their voice heard. Thank you for democracy, God. We thank you for uh, this great country that we're a part of, for the freedom that we have that allows us to worship, uh, for the freedom that allows us to uh, even post videos like this online and, and spread the word about Jesus and. I know we have brothers and sisters that live in, in countries with uh, regimes where they're not able to be free in their exercise of their faith, or they're not able to freely talk about what they believe or share with others uh, online what they believe, or, you know, they're always facing um, just difficult things that we don't have to face in this country, and we thank you for that. We pray for freedom. We pray for uh, peace. Uh, we pray that, just as Paul said, we can live, live peaceful and quiet lives uh, in all godliness and holiness. And uh, we thank you, uh, 
so much for Jesus. We thank you to be able to worship him today, worship uh, you, God, our creator. And uh, just we pray for a breakthrough as we just sang in, in our country and in our lives and in our world. And we pray that you'd use us and uh, speak through us, speak to us today uh, through your uh, message, uh, through the message of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the next verse here, uh, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. Uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned, we, we do live in a world that's broken, that's full of chaos, that's full of fear, uh, that's full of hopelessness. That's, because it's a fallen world. It's a world of separation from God. Ever since uh, the fall in the, in the book of Genesis, our world is in need of God, in need of connection to God. But that's why Jesus came. It says God, uh, God sent Jesus. Jesus came as a mediator to bring us back to God, to bring us back into a relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The title of the lesson is Life with God. Life with God. And I'm going to be sharing some things I learned from this book. Uh, it's called With. It's by uh, a guy named Sky Jathani. And uh, it's a great book. Uh, my, my good friend Marshall Mead uh, recommended this book and actually did some teaching on this book years ago uh, and shared, shared uh, some of what I'm going to share today. Um, it was one of those things where he shared just enough with me to convict me and, and kind of make me wrestle. And some of it I kind of almost disagreed with. And it was like, okay, I probably should read that book, but I also kind of don't want to read that book. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Like, okay, I'm challenged enough. I don't, you know, that's good enough for me. Uh, I have a book like that on ADD that I started reading. I'm like, I don't like this. This is too much like me. <laughs> I'm not put it down. But uh, anyway, my sister gave me this book, though, she uh, as an early Christmas present, the beginning of, of December. So I thought, okay, God, I better read it. And uh, I've been reading it since then, and it's uh, really been life-changing. It's really a great book. It makes, makes me think there's parts that are causing me to wrestle, as I'll share. Uh, but really, it's about uh, what it means to have a relationship with God that is, is framed in the right way, that, that has the right posture. Um, Will, Will Archer, in the lesson... Uh, last week talked about a lot of great inspiring things. One of the things he talked about, though, is how they're learning in their church about uh, the value of relationships and, and that relationships should not be transactional. They should be relational. And I think for a lot of us, a relationship with God can be transactional. It's about what we get from Him or it's about what we give to Him. And it's, it's not about relationship. It's like this transactional relationship. And that's really what this uh, what this book is about. And, and, and we see that the story of the Bible is a story of a relationship with God. The very beginning of the Bible starts with the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, humans are created to be in perfect relationship with God, in communion with Him and in communion with each other, partnering with God uh, in cultivating this beautiful world that He has made. And God, it says he walked with them together in the garden. And, and there was perfect harmony. And how does the Bible end? It ends again in a garden, a garden city. Only this time, instead of two humans, there's every nation, every culture, every tribe, every language all joined together in perfect harmony. And God is there among them. Uh, we, we love this passage, Revelation 21. I want to read a bit of it. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice 
from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Uh, Revelation here, the, uh, the Apostle John is using language that's from the Old Testament, from a lot of the prophets. Some of the stuff that we've been looking over the past few weeks as we did our uh, prophet series, uh, describing God being again among the people. It's like a renewal of Eden, only even better. And uh, I love how he's chosen to use wedding language here, the, the, the bride and the groom. And that's what uh, marriage is about. It's about relationship. It should not, if it's a transactional relationship, you have a problem. Everybody knows that. You know, if you ask me about my marriage and tell me about your marriage, I'm like, well, Dessa does a great job with the dishes and, you know, I appreciate how she, uh, you know, buys us stuff and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, here's what I do for her. You know, I try to make sure I uh, wash the car regularly and take out the trash. I mean, you'd be like, wait, something's not right, you know, about your relationship. And yet that's how we often talk about God. You know, we think about God in terms of what we're getting from him or have not gotten from him or what we want from him or have not yet received from him or what we're doing for him. Yeah, I have regular quiet times. and I, I read this or I read that or I do this or I do that. And, uh, and those are not bad things in and of themselves, right? Even in a marriage, but the relationship has to go deeper than that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, if the Bible were a play, as I mentioned, in the first act, the last act are God with his people. And so the whole story of the Bible is how do we get back to that? And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to talk about four different postures uh, that are laid out in this book, uh, in Sky's book, with um, that are ways that we uh, relate to God that are not the ideal. One is life under God. Another is life from God, another life is life for God, and another is life over God. So we're going to kind of break each of those out. So first we're going to talk about uh, life uh, under God. Uh, and before I do that, I want to kind of describe how these four um, differences kind of relate. So there's a common um, analogy that's given in our culture nowadays about different religions. Um, that Have you ever heard the, the, the saying, all religions leave, lead to the same place? Like, there's all these different religions, but they all lead to the same place. And, and a common analogy is a, like a mountain. And you have all these different religions, say religion A, religion B, C, and D. And they all, in the end, are going to end up in the same place. Who's heard that before? Raise your hand. Okay, we've all heard that. Now, the problem is that all these religions all have a completely different destination in mind. The, the objective of, uh, uh, of Islam is not the same as the objective of Buddhism, is not the same as the objective of Christianity. You know, all these different religions don't even have the same endpoint in, in mind. And what is more accurate is that all religions start in the same place and then from there uh, end up in different places. But they all start in the same place. And where is that that these religions start? Well, you see it in the garden. All the way back in the garden, why, did, why was the fall? Why did Adam and Eve fall? It's because they wanted control. And we obviously don't have time to really dig into that story. If you don't know the story of Adam and Eve, it's there in Genesis 2 and 3. But the story of the fall is a story about, they, they, instead of wanting to follow God's plan and, and be with God in the way that God had established and, and, and commanded, they wanted to establish a new order. They wanted to 
take control themselves. Instead of wanting to be with God, they wanted to be God. The appeal was, you can be like God. And he's trying to keep something from you. And so all of, all of religion is really about trying to get control. Because we are in a world that is full of fear and, and full of uncertainty and has death and has chaos and a lot of things we can't control. And so we want control. So every religion really is a way, it starts with fear and control as a starting point for every single religion there is. And now how can I control fear? How can I control uh, you know, my emotions? How can I uh, get all of this in check and have, have something that I can manage? That's kind of the starting point and then you, you end up in different directions. And so I, I mentioned that kind of deviation to say that's where these different uh, positions with, with God start from. That these, these are not different religions now I'm going to talk about, but these are different ways of relating to God that are still have at their core a desire for control uh, so because of a, a need to manage fear and chaos in this world that we're in. So the first one I'm going to talk about is life under Under God. So I'm using some illustrations that are, uh, I know that's beautiful handwriting. That's J. Brian Craig Font. Um, uh, I, I, I'm using some illustrations that are in uh, the, the, the book. And he, per, he purposely uh, used some kind of simple illustrations as a teaching tool. And uh, so I, I'm sharing these because these are sort of Pictionary style uh, illustrations that you can take with you if you or if you get this book, they're easy to kind of explain some of these ideas. So life under God could be displayed as the this triangle. Obviously, there's no way to represent God, but in the book he uses a triangle. So so life under God is this little person that is under God, okay? And life under God, the irony of life under God is that we're seeking to exert control of God through strict obedience uh, to rituals and, 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 uh, and, the, and the, the rules that he has made. So it, it gives, in a way, it's honoring God because we, we, we're, we're trying to obey, but we're trying to obey as a way to gain control. And, and this is true of a lot of, of religions uh, and idolatry. It's like if I follow certain rules, if I do certain things, then the God has to, it, it kind of locks the God into doing what I want him to do. And, and you see this uh, in a lot of ways. You see this when God doesn't come through maybe in the way that we expected or wanted. Um, years ago, back uh, 10 years ago or so, uh, there was a, a game, uh, the Bills versus the Steelers. And uh, Steve Johnson, who's a uh, wide receiver for the, uh, the Bills, uh, dropped a, an important pass in the end zone in overtime. And uh, so the, the Bills eventually lost to the, their rival, the Steelers. I'm sure Steve was happy that day back in 2010. Um, probably wearing his Steelers shirt back then. But Steve Johnson tweeted this later uh, that day or shortly thereafter. He said, I praise you 24-7 and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this ever. Then maybe he realized, oh, I'm going a little too far. So he goes, thanks, though. <laughs> But I think we all can relate to that. Like, God, I've been serving you. I've, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do, so I deserve the outcome I want. You know, I put all the family devos into my kids, and they're not turning out the way that they're supposed to. I went to all the marriage retreats, and I did all the exercises we were supposed to do, and I read that book, and my marriage has still got problems. I've, you know, I've done this, I've done that, and yet you haven't blessed me, God. 
And so religion becomes a way of trying to control God. So here's another little diagram. This is, you know, let me try to kind of, I want you guys to be able to see while I draw, but it might not be possible. So here's a little puppeteer uh, manipulation. And we're trying to manipulate God. So this is God as a way of controlling our world. And this is our world. There's North America, South America, Africa. You got it? So we're trying to control God who controls the world. So still it's us wanting control, right? And so this is, uh, as I mentioned, this is a, 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 where religion becomes ritualistic. Jesus talked about this when he talked about the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in his day where they were doing all the right things on the outside, but inside they were messed up. Inside, they, they weren't concerned with matters of the heart. And so that's how we can get as religious people sometimes, where we're going through the motions, but maybe we've got pride, maybe we've got uh, jealousy, maybe we've got, you know, all this kind of more internal stuff. We find ourselves angry, we, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have a great connection to God uh, uh, emotionally. It's just kind of about the things that we do. And Jesus said this in Matthew 15 in, in this interaction with them. He said, you hypocrites. And hypocrites is, you know, we, we all, the word hypocrites means something to us. Uh, we all understand what a hypocrite is. But it's, it's important to remember when Jesus used that word, that's the word for actor in the first century. So he's just saying, you guys are actors. You, you actors. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So when Jesus uses that word actor, it's like, you know, you think of somebody who studies for a role. They're, they're inhabiting a character, but that's not really them, right? A lot of times when you see an interviewer with an actor, they, they even talk about their, act, their, their character in the third person. They, they use the person's name, the name of the character, because they know it's not them. They're saying, this character is this, this character is that. And that's who we become when we have this posture with God. We're just acting. We're just going through the motions. And our, and our religion becomes empty. It becomes just teachings. It just becomes, here it says, merely human rules. And it's, it's convicting that Jesus says, your worship is in vain. You might as well not even be bothering if this is what uh, your relationship with God is. That's, that's a challenging passage. All right, the next uh, thing we're going to talk about is life over God try to write it a little better this time. Probably not, though. Life over God. And so this is, as, uh, you know, early religion, much was you're under God, but then as, as humanity develops and you get to the time of modernism, we realize that when you look into our, crea our world and, and out into the universe, you see incredible order. You see all kinds of laws. Whereas early humans saw um, reality as just chaos, uh, people, the more they study reality, they realize, wow, there are laws built into every aspect of, of creation. And, and there is order. And so our understanding of, universe in of the universe in modernism is the universe is like a machine, and our job is to understand how it operates so that we can control it, so that we can know principles that we can use and get the objectives that we want. Uh, you know, we, we realize that in, in, in natural laws, there's gravity, there's thermodynamics, there's mathematics um, that's behind what has been created. And it, it's really cool, you know, not to get too off 
topic, but even the more that uh, we study about the universe, the more we see mind behind matter. We see mind behind creation. There's so much order uh, in what has been created. All, all of the, these, everything's been fine-tuned. Our universe has been fine-tuned on the large level. And then on the teeny-tiny level, uh, it, it, especially life, is based on code. It's, it's based on a code that comes from a mind. But, uh, but anyway, so you see these laws that are part of creation, and modern people have expanded that to, to, to say there are principles of leadership, there are principles of relationships, there are principles of business. If you can find the right principle, then you're going to automatically get the right outcome. And there's a huge uh, swath of literature about that. The, follow these steps and you get this, uh, you know, the five easy steps to this, seven easy steps to that. That's always the clickbait, uh, right? Nine tools for this, 12 tools for that. Um, you know, there, there, there's, and, and that is a lot of where we come from in our church comes from a modernist view of religion and of the scriptures. The Church of Christ uh, background, uh, Alexander Campbell was very influenced by this modernism way of thinking. Who, who's, he's an early church kind of father in our tradition. Sometime we'll talk more about where we come from, where our church stream comes from. But it's this idea that we can figure it out. If you read the Bible, you're going to find principles for everything. And you're going to find an answer for every single thing in life in the Bible. And, uh, and so I want to read this quote. It says, this is from the book with, rather than a vehicle for knowing God, the scriptures, rather than being a vehicle for knowing God and fostering our communion with him, we search the scriptures for applicable principles that we may employ to control our world and life. This is not Christianity. This is Christian deism. That's a challenging statement, you know, and, and obviously we love the scripture because it comes from God and it's, it's written through his Holy Spirit. But the point of it is to bring us to God. The point is God, not the scriptures themselves. And yet you can have situations where it's almost like we want to shortcut God just to get straight to the principle. It, look, it looks kind of like this. God is over here. And, but we, sorry, I got to make my puppeteer thing again. We are try, still trying to control the world. I don't want to cheat. I'm, you can tell I'm American centric because that's North America right there. I should start, <laughs> next time I'll try to put Africa right in the middle. Uh, <laughs> but these are the laws and principles so deism means God created everything, but then he's kind of over here. He's outside, you know, he's created all these laws. Now we just figure out the laws and the principles, and then, then we get the objective uh, that we want. And again, these laws and principles are created by God, and they're not bad enough of them in and of themselves, but if they take us out of what the whole point of it is, which is a, a, a relationship with God, uh, then, then we have a problem. Because we're not always going to get, you know, the scripture is full of, of, of times when it doesn't always work. You know, Proverbs, for example, Proverbs is kind of like this. Proverbs is, if you do this, you get that. If you do this, you get that. If you do this, you get that. And that is true, right? Those are principles, but they are sometimes not true. And, and so that's where Ecclesiastes is kind of going, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's different, you know. And so you read all the wisdom literature together, and then Job, Job is like, Man, this guy did everything right and everything went wrong. What? This is all off. And, and the answer to all of it is, are you God? 
You know, the answer at the end of Job, Job is like, God is like, look, I created everything. Can you do that? No. Can you make a better universe than I made? No. <laughs> okay, I'm going to shut up now, God. Right? That's kind of the uh, Job in a nut- nutshell. So, so, yes, there are laws. Yes, there are principles. But God is still a mystery. Uh, there, are, there are still things that we can't know or understand, even though we want to so bad. You know, we want to figure it all out and know how it works. Why? So that we can control it. So that we can be guaranteed uh, the outcome we want. So wh- why, do, why is this situation bad? Because it puts our hope into the, at the core. The core of, of this is not God himself. So that's a, uh, an apple. The core is whatever the law is. Probably nobody puts our hope in EMC, E equals MC squared. But, you know, the law is, the principle is what we're kind of putting our hope in rather than the core being a relationship with God. And this causes us sometimes to value uh, results over relationship. To give you an example in Luke 10, this is kind of a, kind of a shocking thing that Jesus says, uh, or at least I've thought it was shocking at times. The 72 returned with joy. These are Jesus sends out his apostles uh, to preach the word. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Imagine that. Imagine preaching the name of Jesus and you just see somebody who's demon-possessed suddenly be freed. I mean, that would be incredible, right, to see results like that. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. In other words, Jesus is saying, the authority is coming from me. It's not about you, just to remind you of that. But then look what he says. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a challenging verse because I so much tend to to be about the results, to be about, you know, wow, I saw, it was incredible. And, And so my my well-being or my, my emotions go up and down based on how things are going. You know, they're excited because things are going great. And I think Jesus is saying, maybe he's saying it's not always going to go great. You know, there, were, there are great times and there are dark times. And, and he says, where, where do you, you want to put your hope? Where do you need to put your re- rejoicing? It's in the relationship that you have with God. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Re- rejoice that God knows your name, that God loves you, that God cares about you, that you have a connection to him. That's where your hope has to be. Not that, hey, it really worked this time. Does that make sense? Uh, so I wish I could spend more time on that, but, but uh, that is life over God, uh, where we are, are, are trying to, to put our hope into these, these principles. Give me five steps to a successful marriage. Give me five uh, steps to effective parenting. Uh, how many can relate to that? How many can relate to life under, under God or life over God? Okay, I got to move faster. Let's talk about life from God. Life from God. This is probably a little more obvious. So here's the person and, uh, you know, with their little whatever it is. And God gave it to them. And they're like, woohoo, God gave me that. Life from God. Uh, Christian Smith, who's a, a sociologist, uh, University of North Carolina, he spent years studying the religious lives of teenagers. And he concluded that most teenagers that he studied view God as a, he says, quote, a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. (laughs) 
you know, God is there to help them achieve uh, what they desire. God is he- there to help them through their problems. And and there's a good, you know, there's a there's a true aspect to that. But but there's more. You know, the, the objective, the core uh, becomes. Uh, the core becomes self. You know, what you're wanting is what you desire, your own happiness, your own uh, uh, well-being. And, and, and so what tends to happen is when you have this view is you tend to kind of make God into your own image. You know, if you're, you're looking, here's a mirror, and you're, you're looking for God and you see yourself, <laughs> right? Uh, we, we make God into our own image. God wants what I want. Rather than, no, I, wanna, I need to change who I am to want what God wants. And uh, this is not just teenagers, you know. I know uh, as Christian Smith was studying teenagers, he realized this is our whole society. Uh, this is how we tend to uh, view things. We are consumers. We live in a consumer society, especially here in America. And so we exist in this uh, consumer chaos, uh, cosmos. I mean, and I want to draw this one for you. This one's a little more. So at the center of our... Uh, solar system is self and then uh, orbiting around self are you know other people you know we see others as orbiting around ourselves and even God it's all about what God this is the consumer cosmos so it's all about what others do for us or to us it's all about what god does for us what god gives us uh and and again god does god want to bless us does god bless people in the bible yes of course he does bless people in the bible god does love us but that doesn't always mean everything's going to go the way that we want it to go, right? It doesn't. God's uh, way of viewing things is different than our way of viewing things, and it's inconsistent with the Bible. Can you find anyone in the Bible where everything went their way, and you know that's the story that's told in the Bible? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I can't think of one. Uh, you know, it's 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 our comforts can even sometimes be our our downfall. If you look at like David or even how we studied uh, in the book of Amos a while back. That was really the problem. And, and Deuteronomy warned about that. Moses told the people, when you are blessed and you get into the promised land and everything's going well for you, be careful that you don't forget God, the one that got you there. And uh, that's what happens sometimes is that we just get so self-focused so easily. And that's where we end up in being led into idolatry. Uh, in his book, uh, it's called uh, Counterfeit Gods, uh, Tim Keller talks about how even idols can be a good thing that then becomes uh, too much of a thing. It becomes the ultimate thing, and, and so it becomes an idol. So even the, the, the blessings God gives us can become idols. Uh, and, and yet, if you think of the cross, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, you must take up your cross and follow me. You, you, you've got to have the same perspective that I have of being willing to suffer, being willing to die, uh, you know, the, the way of the cross is not a way of consumerism, is it? The way of the cross is a way of suffering. And yet, uh, Paul describes in Philippians, he describes those that are, are not living the way of the cross in this way. He says their destiny, this is Philippians 3.19, their destiny is destruction. 
Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mindset is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Paul is describing the way, not the way of the cross, but the, the anti-way of the cross as being one where my God is my stomach. It's all about me and what I'm consuming. And, uh, and my mindset is on earthly things. You know, what do I have? What do I not have? Versus a heavenly perspective. Uh, you know, if you have thinking of, well, God, God wants me to be successful. God wants me to happy, be happy. God wants my dreams to be fulfilled. You know, you got to ask yourself, is this, are you thinking about your relationship with God in terms of life from God? Uh, the story of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, you know, that he, it was all, his relationship with his son, with his father was all about what he could get from his father. And so he said, I want my inheritance now. And then he took it and went away. Uh, that's a perspective of life from God. All right, last one we're going to look about at today in depth is life. For God. And this is the one that as uh, my, my friend Marshall Mead was describing this to me and telling me about this, uh, this is the one I had the mo- hardest time with. <laughs> the one that is, I found myself wrestling with a lot. And, and if you wrestle with this, that, that's okay. And, uh, you know, this is good discussion to have. So, like, so instead of, you know, the, the thing being taken from God, it's what you're giving to God. Uh, and uh, listen to this quote from the book. He says, Ministries use many different devices to motivate people, to serve, to engage, to give. But their goal is the same, to transform their members from a posture of living from God to a posture of living for Him. You know, I read that, and I'm like, yes, that's what we want to do. <laughs> you know, that. We do. We don't want consumers in our church. We want people who are givers in our church. Yet that's exactly what we want to do. And yet, you know, the author of this book, he he pushes that a little farther. He goes, you know, it's got to be about more than that. Um, you know, you, you develop a, a a a culture where, like, if somebody gives up their job and for full time ministry. They, they are somehow a better Christian, right? Or a, God loves that person more. And, and that, that can seep into the way that we view the world, right? It is, is there's, there's certain people God values more than other people because of what they're doing for Him. And that's not, you don't see that in, in the Bible. You don't see that in, in Jesus' teachings. Who does Jesus lift up? It's a lot of times, you know, the lowly, the outsider, the, you know, the, the, the person who everybody else is like, oh yeah, that they discount that person, yet Jesus lifts up their faith. So this is, you know, this is challenging. It's it's challenging uh, to me. Uh, the, the the author, a lot of what led the author to uh, this write this book was he was doing a lot of work with college students, college students who were were fairly religious, and he says they had come to view themselves entirely based on what they were able to accomplish on God's behalf. Even the presence or absence of sin in their lives was seen through this lens, how effective they could be for God. And, and so the, their, their identity became about what they were doing or not doing uh, for God. And, and so as, you know, as Marshall, my, not my son Marshall, but my friend Marshall was, was telling me about this book, you know, this is what caused me to wrestle because I thought, uh, 
you know, it, it's scriptural to give up for God, of course. Uh, you know, I think of that scripture where Paul says in Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may testify to the gospel of God's grace. Like, Paul's like, I want to give my whole life away for this cause. And, and that's what inspires me. That's what inspired me to become a disciple was the idea of giving up my life for something greater, having an impact on the world. Um, and yet, what? wait a minute, what does Paul say? The task of what? Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So, Paul, Paul, the gospel, yes, but it's the point is God's grace. The point is a relationship with God that's not based on performance. The point is a relationship with God that's based on God's goodness and His wholeness and His His grace, His His mercy for us. Um, see, the problem is that life for God has has at its core the mission. Uh, this is a, a little loudspeaker here. The mission. The mission is good, but it can't be the core. It's not the core. The mission serves the relationship with God. That's at the core. The, the, what I do for God does not affect how he feels about me. It's because of how he feels about me. And that's something that I still wrestle with. It's hard for me. It's so easy for me to think about uh, myself in terms of uh, you know, what I do or don't do for God. And, uh, you know, I, I'll probably be wrestling with this till the day I die, but it's something that I wrestle with. And yet, when you think about Paul, even this guy who, who gave his whole life for the mission, he was incredibly motivated. He, he gave his very life. He was, he was executed for his faith. And, and he knew that was coming, and he felt great about it, you know, because he, he said, I want to give everything to this mission. When he prays about uh, the people in his church, when he prays for the Ephesians, for example, look what he prays, Ephesians 3. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all measure of all the fullness of God. You know, when he, when he prays for the Ephesians, it's not, I pray that you get become more of a giver. I pray that you would... I pray that you would uh, do more for the mission. I, it's Yes, those things are good, but they come from knowing God. They come from the starting point of understanding God's grace, understanding who God is. That was Paul's prayer. I really want you to be in this relationship with God. So if you're anxious in your walk with God, if you're not at peace, if you're motivated by fear, if you're not experiencing the fruits of the Spirit, because there's people that... Man, they're doing so many things for God, but then they don't exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. They're not at peace. They're not full of joy. They're, they're not content. You know, they're, they're, there's something off, right? And, and I've experienced that, where I'm doing all these things for God, but I'm still not at peace. And, and I'm, I find myself angry or I'm, you know, kind of up and down in, 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 my, uh, in my emotions instead of being calm and steady and, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, you know, that's what should be produced if I'm living in relationship with God and living through His Spirit. Uh, the prodigal son story, going back to that, uh, what challenges me is the older son. You know, there's the story of the younger son who takes everything and goes and squanders it. He realizes, he comes to his senses, he comes back, and the love of the father is amazing in accepting him back. But the second son, and this is a lot of a story that's not often told, it, Jesus told a story of two sons, right? And they both were off in their thinking. They both were lost, in a sense. 
So that first son comes back and, and the, the father rejoices. The second son is frustrated and angry and, and, and his, his, like his emotions are out of whack. He's, he's irritated that his son is kind of letting, or his father is sort of letting the first son off the hook. And he tells his father about it. And uh, he says this, uh, Luke 15, verse 29. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've served you and never disobeyed a commandment of yours, yet you never give me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returns from squandering your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. Where was his perspective? It was on what the father was doing or not doing for him, wasn't it? Uh, Just like the first son's perspective was on what he could get from the father, so was the second son's. It was still about... What he was doing for the father, he said, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm doing all this, I've been serving for years and years, look at all that I've done, and what, what you haven't done for me, you haven't even given me a goat. And, uh, and yet look at the, the father's response. Son, verse 31, you are always with me, the father said, and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Man, the, it's so amazing, uh, the love of God, you know. His, his perspective towards the first son, but even more for me personally, his perspective towards the second son. Because, you know, I, I, I became a Christian when I was uh, 18 years old. I've been in the faith a long time, uh, I, but I still have sin, you know. And, and mine is the sin of the older son. Uh, and mine is the sin of the religious person. And that was told, I think Jesus was telling this story for the people who were Jews, the, 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 the observers of the law, the, the, the people of the faith who, they were having a problem with all these, you know, sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors who were becoming Christians uh, that represent the first son. And, uh, you know, so this is kind of for the kingdom kids. This, uh, like me, I grew up in the church. This is kind of for the people who maybe from an external standpoint, from a, from a worldly standpoint, oh, that's a good person. And yet we get so off in our thinking. We, 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 even if we're serving God, even if it's life for God, we can become like that older son. And I, I just love the grace that's so full of, uh, there's so full of grace in this father's response. And I just want to kind of meditate on that for a second. His words, son, you are always with me. Think about that father saying those kind words to that son, and, and what comes to your mind? If you just picture that moment and that interaction between that, uh, I, I spent a little bit of time just thinking and meditating on it, uh, especially think about anything that you might be missing in your relationship with God. Uh, you know, what came to my mind was a few words, connection, relationship, mindfulness. You know, he says, Let it, let's celebrate this moment. Like, like the father was so in the moment in a way, you know, uh, celebration, I wrote down, letting go, you know, the, the older son is so concerned with, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm, do, you know, and the father's like, ah, just relax, right, son, you're always with me, you know, we're, we're good, right, uh, letting go, I wrote down, exhaling, because I can get so amped up, I can get stressed out, I can be so anxious, and, uh, you know, this is this is good for me because I, even before reading this book, I, I wanted this year, 2020 to 2021, thankfully I can say that now, 
uh, to be about relationship. I want to grow in my relationships with others, but I want to grow in my relationship with God. Uh, and then it was affirmed by Will talking last week about not having relationships that are transactional. It's been affirmed by reading this book. And so next week, we're going to be talking about life with God. And what does that mean? And we'll spend the whole time talking about that. So the, the, the point is not to have uh, life under God, not to have life over God. Just a reminder of what we talked about today. Not to have life from God, not to have life for God, but to have life with God. So everything is all about God and through God, life with. So that's why the, the book is entitled With, Life with God. And so we're going to be talking about that next week. But as we take communion, uh, fulfilling God's desire to be with us, to have this, this kind of relationship, that's the whole reason Jesus came. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And that's why we celebrate communion, is to remember that connection, to remember that time. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. Jesus so valued that connection with his, his uh, loved ones. And he said, whenever you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, remembering that connection. Uh, I want to read you this one more quote from the, from the book. Jesus didn't die merely to inaugurate a mission, life for God, or to give us a second chance at life, life from God. He did not endure the horrors of the cross just to demonstrate a principle of love for others to em emulate, life over God, or to appease divine wrath, life under God. While each of these may be rooted in truth and affirmed by Scripture, it is only when we grasp God's unyielding desire to be with us that we begin to see the ultimate purpose of the cross. It is more than a vehicle to rescue us from death. It transports us into the arms of life. The cross is how we acquire our treasure. It's how we find unity with God. Uh, again, returning to that vision uh, at the end of the Bible... Revelation 21, uh, it's, it's, it's not just uh, where, where we're, you know, you hear it sometimes it's all about the destination, or you hear it's all about the journey, it's not the destination. No, it's about both the destination and the journey, but it's about who we're headed towards and along with, who is going along with us on that journey. You know, it's all about life with God on our way to be with Him forever. And uh, so I just want to reflect on this passage one more time as we pray for communion. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's pray. God, thank you that through Jesus Christ we have access to the Father and to a loving and fulfilling walk with him that can completely sustain us, that can uh, supply uh, help in times of trouble, but it's not about that help. Uh, you give us blessings, but it's not about those blessings. 
you call us to a purpose and a mission and a calling, but that's not the objective either. It's just you yourself. You are our shield. You are our very great reward. It's all about you. And I pray that wherever we are in our faith, wherever we are in our walk with you, God, we can uh, just take steps closer to you, that we would want to know you better and more deeper uh, this year. And uh, I pray that you would lead each one of us closer into a walk with you. Uh, If there's those listening who haven't yet become Christians, who haven't surrendered their lives to you uh, in in response to your grace, in in repentance and baptism, I I pray that that they would respond, God, that they would choose to to give up their life for you and to to follow you and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. God, if there's those who uh, have been Christians a long time but have drifted in their faith and have have started to have, you know, one of these other postures uh, where where they're not... uh, where they should be, and I, I include myself in that, God, I pray that we can, uh, you know, open the door as, as you want to be with us, as it says in Revelation, to the lukewarm, uh, that we would open the door and let you in and, and be together, and, and, and it would really be about that relationship. Thank you for your body given for us and your blood shed for us, and for these elements that we can take, the bread and the, the wine that remind us of your body and blood given for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.